Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What matters most? What do we need to change? It's different for everyone. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Cassie Reed just doesn't stop. She's a wife, mother, entrepreneur, philanthropist and business owner. She co-founded the Epic Group and the Icon Group, which is the largest supplier of integrated oncology services in Australia, also making its mark in New Zealand and Asia. She has more than 3,000 employees and helps 2 million cancer patients a year. Somewhere in all of this, she's found the time to undergo astronaut training as part of her desire to see the world from a different perspective. As this self-confessed tech geek with a passion for fashion says, we each only get one life and I intend to make mine as epic as I possibly can. Kathy Reed, we're really grateful you could find the time to squeeze us in. It's rare that you're in Oz. I mean, you hear a lot, but you travel so much, don't you? Yeah, it's it's pretty constant these days, but, you know, it's better than being bored. You'll never be bored, girlfriend. You will <laughs> never be bored. Now, you started life professionally as a pharmacist and then fell in love with your husband, fellow pharmacist. But how does a self-confessed tech geek obsessed with data end up being a multi-squillionaire with <laughs> a multifaceted global business and has booked a seat on the Virgin Galactic journey as a budding astronaut? How does all this happen? Yeah, I guess it's it's a long way from that first pharmacy job stacking nappies after school when I was at high school in country Victoria. But I think if I look back in hindsight, it's really just been about making the most of opportunities that have come my way and being open to to taking on challenges and to when doors present, taking the chance to actually go through those doors and have a look what's on the other side and rather than always taking the safe and conservative approach. Okay, you've opened a string of pharmacies with your husband. You've fallen in love with data and technology and decided to form the ICON group. The first set of ICON cancer centres were um, a group of hospitals that we acquired in southeast Queensland in 2012. And then in 2014, ICON actually stands for Integrated Clinical Oncology Network. And at that stage, it was just um, medical oncology or, or chemotherapy treatment options. And we wanted to bring radiation oncology into the mix as well. And Stuart and my personal balance sheet was never going to be able to allow that to happen. So we actually took a private equity partner into the business. And then that was really the formation of Icon Group, which then also brought in chemotherapy compounding and obviously operates pharmacies as well. The brief for the company is bringing together all aspects of care from oncology, radiation, chemotherapy and pharmacy, all for the benefits of patients delivering best cancer care possible to as many people as possible, as close to home as possible. The word possible is everywhere. There are a lot of possibles in that mission statement, that's for sure. Your passion is about providing quality cancer care. How did it end up being the focus of what you and Stuart do? Well, I think... 
Back in 2008, we had a bit of, we had quite a, a major, I guess, reset point in our business where, or 2007 actually, we were the largest uh, hospital pharmacy service provider to a large Australian healthcare company and they came to a pivot point in their strategy and decided to take their pharmacy services in-house, which meant that we were going to lose 60% of our revenue and profitability over the next 18 months and that just wasn't survivable. So we needed to find alternative options and ways that not only we could survive and thrive going forward, but for the several hundred people who actually worked with us at that stage. So we did a, you know, like any business does, we did a a SWOT analysis, looked at what the market opportunities were going to be. And by virtue of the work that we were doing with all of our private hospital partners, we were seeing a real increase in the demand for cancer care, um, which was aligned to, unfortunately, the growing statistics and incidence of cancer in the community, and realised that um, that's a role where pharmacists actually play a really important contribution. The dosages of chemotherapy are very individualised. The toxicity of the medicine is obviously quite significant if those doses aren't right. And pharmacists are a really important and integral part of the care team in cancer. So we saw that as an opportunity to really, um, I guess, double down our efforts in that area with a belief that if we became a real, um, a leading expert in the area of oncology pharmacy, the opportunity would arise to then potentially acquire some of the centres that we were the pharmacy provider to and move into the care provision space. And, And that was really where the strategy for ICON was actually born in that you know, strategic review session born out of desperation back in 2007. And now you're arguably the biggest in the field. Yeah, look, the growth story of the business has been really extraordinary o- over the past few years. And uh, that mission of delivering the best care possible to as many people as possible, as close to home as possible, has really driven that because we've opened centres in areas where there's a real demand for service, particularly through regional Australia. You know, before we started, I guess, doing what we were doing, there was a a need oftentimes to travel away from home, to come to capital cities or to certainly to big regional centres for treatment rather than being able to be treated close to home. And particularly for radiation oncology, you know, your normal treatment course there is a treatment every day for five, six weeks or so. The treatment may only go for 10 minutes, but you have to have it every weekday during that window. And if you live somewhere that doesn't have a centre where you can actually have that radiation therapy you've got to pack up and move away from your family and your friends and your support network for that six to eight week window. And it's a very stressful time in your life when you've got cancer. And being away from your family, your friends, your support adds to that stress. Whereas being able to stay at home, sleep in your own bed, it's actually a really important component. And then in Asia, where we've expanded as well, there's an unmet need for quality cancer care across Asia. So again, we're, uh, we're doing our bit to help, I guess, fill that need. Doing your bit's probably an understatement. Um, Launching into Singapore around 2006, Vietnam and China 2017. You're based in Singapore as well, aren't you? Yeah, we have seven hospitals now in in Singapore that we provide medical oncology services from. And we actually were just recently successful in a tender for a a new integrated centre in Singapore that'll see us start delivering radiation oncology there as well when that opens. So that's really exciting. Why do you think two pharmacists from country Victoria, from Australia, saw a need and met a demand that no one else kind of considered? I think it is, you know, that 
entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I look back now with hindsight and and realise my father wouldn't have typically been considered an entrepreneur, but he actually had a very entrepreneurial spirit. You know, he he worked at the State Electricity Commission by day and was a farmer essentially by night, but he took on all manner of jobs and started up all of these little small businesses in fencing and hay baling and sheep shearing and all of these things where he was able to identify unmet needs in the local community that helped him achieve what his ultimate goals were. And I look back and now can really clearly identify that as a really significant entrepreneurial spirit that he had, which it appears I've I've inherited. But you also met that with Stuart. You married yeah. someone. I mean, we often find opposites attract, but in your case, you two are almost cut from the same cloth in that respect, aren't you? Yeah, we're, we're the same but very different at, at the same time. And it was interesting, back in early 2008, we actually did a lot of work with um, Gallup and the top sort of 50 leaders through the business did a Gallup strength profile exercise looking at how everybody gets a chance to do what they do best more often than not every day. And when we did that exercise, it was quite interesting because the scientist from Gallup who was working with us on said, you know, I've been at Gallup for years and years and years, and you two have got the most compatible partner profile that I've ever seen in all of the businesses that I've ever worked in. And I'm like, well, who knew that when we ran into each other in that laneway in Melbourne (laughs) 20 years ago? And we both often say, you know, we couldn't have done what we've done without each other. We are a really great partnership, both at work and at home. We're we're really lucky in that regard. But I think we bring out the best in each other and we have really complementary skill sets. And most importantly, we have a very similar risk profile, which is probably the most important thing of all for entrepreneurs because it's it's a risky game, certainly at the outset. It is. But you know what I think is really lovely about your story, other than it being a a really pure love story, is uh, that it's a partnership in life, not just at home, but in business, you both chase really big dreams. And part of that is also about providing quality care with a heart and delivering outcomes. I mean, you're trying to cure cancer. Yeah, look, our our research division is certainly very actively involved in progressing treatments. I mean, the goal of a cure for cancer is an interesting thing because cancer is so many things and so many different conditions. And there are advances every day being made in the treatment and the survival rates of different types of cancers. Will there ever be one singular cure for cancer? Will who knows what the future will hold. But I think, again, our goal is to try and make sure that people have that accessibility to the best treatment possible available for them and in their region. And what's been integral in all of that is your complete passion for innovation and technology. Yeah, look, I don't really know why I ended up as sort of so interested in technology as I was. That certainly didn't come from my parents. I mean, my father used to be able to disable the TV just trying to change a channel with a remote. So I certainly didn't get that part of my interest from him. But I think quite early on in my career in, in pharmacy, I remember I had a I had a Palm Pilot when they first came out and there was a um, medication information software package that was developed for Palm Pilots. And I could really see quite quickly what a game changer that was, because up until then, the only way that you could actually access drug information was either 
by lugging around enormous, big, heavy textbooks or by sitting at a desktop where you, you know, installed all of this software via a CD-ROM. And then all of a sudden, quite literally, the information was available in the palm of your hand. And I could see how transformative that had the power to be in the future of healthcare. And then it just kind of grew from there, just like seeing how social media opened up. You know, social media gets a lot of negative commentary, but in terms of healthcare, it's actually delivered so much positivity as well. You know, for people who've got particularly rare health conditions, conditions that not many people that they know in their local area have got, they've been able to connect and be supported by by other individuals with that same condition all over the world. You know, we got really good really early at doing things without very much money. And technology was a great, delivered a great set of tools for being able to promote your business without having to follow maybe some of the traditional advertising pathways and spends because we didn't have the money for that. But it catapulted you above all of your competitors in a very quick way. It wasn't easy, I'm sure. Yeah, I, th- I think it also dates back to, you know, one of the challenges that we had when we first started our business, we bought four pharmacies in three states in the first three months. So one in Melbourne, one in Sydney, one in Brisbane and one on the Sunshine Coast. And there were only two of us, so we couldn't actually be in every location simultaneously. So we had to, initially that manifested, I mean, the first eight months we were we had the businesses, I was never in one location for any longer than 72 hours. I was basically just going from place to place, hiring people, talking to them about what our vision was, what we wanted to do, and putting systems and processes to be able to deliver that in place. And then I'd get on another plane and go to the next place and do it again and kind of repeat that on a two-week cycle. So we realised pretty quickly that wasn't particularly sustainable and that technology was actually one of the ways that you could actually have a visible presence and deliver consistency of access to yourself, access to information, an ability to to see into each of the businesses and what was going on there. So the way that we actually started the business, I think, was a big driver that pushed us to needing technology solutions very early. And now, I mean, that's with locations all over Australia, being able to have that visibility via technology, the two-way visibility where our leadership team can see what's going on in any site and support that site. And equally, the sites have access to all of our centralised support networks has actually been part of the real driving piece that's now fueled the Asian expansion as well, because we're very, very used to doing things remotely. How important was the expansion into Asia for your business? Look, I think it's been a really significant one for us because, you know, Australia's a big and a sizable market, but in global terms, it's still really quite small. And when you get into into Asia and see both the breadth of the opportunity, but also the breadth of the need, it's actually really important. And it was something, again, you know, back in that strategic session in 2007, we had a three-step plan. And the first step was, you know, further build out our oncology pharmacy capabilities. Second was move into the ownership and operation of the cancer hospitals themselves. And the third one was, and then go to Asia, which was kind of ironic because neither Stuart or I had ever been to Asia at that point. So we, yeah, we had this belief in 2007 that if we could do Australia well, that that would open up the opportunity in in Asia. And it did. When you're going to market trying to seek funding to expand your business and explore the Asian market, you had to pitch to people who believed we could do it. How hard was it to get funding in those early days? 
When we first expanded into Singapore, that was when uh, when Quadrant was still investors in the business. And I have to say, they backed our and our leadership's team's ability to execute. They'd seen what we could do on the ground in Australia and they backed that we could do the same in Singapore and use that as a starting platform. You've got to have a base, I think, and establish a credibility in that market before you try and expand. And we were really fortunate. We found a really great group of oncologists who wanted to work with us in Singapore and Again, we're we're big believers always in any of the businesses that we've partnered with or that have ultimately ended up becoming part of Icon Group. You have to have an aligned set of values. You have to have an aligned vision for what you want to achieve. And if you don't get along kind of in the dating process, then the marriage doesn't have much of a chance of success. So we've always been really picky about who it is that we do ultimately marry and bring in. And, And we take, I guess, as well as the more typical business due diligence, we do cultural and value due diligence as well in making sure that there is that alignment and that we, um, we're going to be able to get along during, you know, there's always inevitably difficult times and difficult conversations in any business. And if you've got a really good and robust and solid relationship established, you can always navigate your way through those. It is a sad reality that cancer is a, a growing market. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately it really is. And part part of that is because we're not dying of other things. You know, we've done such a good job of establishing great advances in cardiovascular disease management and those type of things. And the reality is the older you get, the greater your chances of getting cancer are of one form or another. That's just a statistical reality. So if you're not dying of something else, your chance of getting cancer actually increases. And then the other thing too is um, diagnostics continue to improve. So people are finding out earlier that they've actually got cancer, which is actually fantastic because early detection does correlate often to improved outcomes. So the earlier that you can detect it, the quicker you can start a treatment program. And certainly that's one of the things that we're really seeing throughout Asia, that um, the advances in the availability of diagnostics is certainly increasing the the number of people being diagnosed with cancer. So there's kind of a a growth in the incidence, but there's also a a growth in the numbers that's relating to... Survival rates. Both survival rates and just detection. You know, people may previously have died of cancer without anyone knowing that it was cancer that they actually had because they were never diagnosed. For the uninitiated that don't understand your world, can you crystallise what the ICON group does? In our cancer centres, essentially, we don't do the diagnosis piece. So you're diagnosed with cancer and then you get your doctor refers you to one of our centres for treatment, which could be medical oncology or could be radiation oncology. You may have had surgery before you actually come in, but then you sit down with your oncologist and there's a treatment plan determined. And that could be a course of chemotherapy. It could be a course of radiotherapy, or it could be a course of both. If it's chemotherapy, our manufacturing division actually prepares that chemotherapy therapy here in in Australia and then that's administered to you in one of our hospitals and our pharmacists oversee the prescription and the supply of that chemotherapy as well. And why do you think you guys do it better than anyone else? I think it's the people that we've got and the culture that we've established. 
We have a values-driven culture where we do believe in giving everybody the opportunity to do what they do best every day and supporting them in that. And innovation is a is a word I think that is overused, but innovation has actually been one of our core values for the last 15 years. We don't have an innovation department because we believe it's everybody's job to strive to find new and better ways of doing what they do. And everybody has the opportunity to put those ideas forward and see them evolve. And we do an enormous amount of you know, our clinicians are constantly looking for new and better ways of delivering treatment. We pioneer a lot of techniques here in Australia and provide that access to care in a way that either hopefully improves outcomes, reduces side effects, but it's all driven by people having that passion for what they do and for really wanting to actually make a difference. And being allowed to flourish in the yeah. space. Is there ever any discomfort with making let's face it, a bucket load of money out of cancer? It's actually a really interesting question and it's one that we do get asked. I mean, the the reality is, and it's a bit of a technicality, the wealth, uncomfortable, that Stuart and I have created is about the value of the businesses that we've created more so than, I guess, hiving off all of the profits because it's actually always been a lot more about reinvesting the profitability in future growth and in continuing to be able to grow impact. If we were running at a loss... You couldn't help many people. Exactly. The more effective and well-run and well-managed your businesses are, the more your ability to actually grow and expand and deliver more services to more people and make more impact is. And that's a really important part. You know, in Australia, we do a lot of private-public partnerships where we work with the public health system to deliver services in areas where people otherwise wouldn't have access to that care. And you have to be able to do it. It's about a sustainable ability rather than money-making. And people think making money is a negative thing, but it's actually a very necessary evil if you want to continue to grow and and deliver services. Does it annoy you that that question comes up? I mean, I feel uncomfortable asking it. How does it sit with you? One of the things that I always think of, I'd really rather have been able to make money in doing something that's actually providing a lot of good and doing a lot of good in society. You know, building an app that you can use to send naked photos to someone has made other people a lot of money. And I don't think that's contributed as positively to society as hopefully what we've been able to do and create. So no, I don't personally feel any guilt about it whatsoever because I know how I know the importance of running a profitable business in being able to grow and expand your reach and the fact that people wouldn't have access to that care if we weren't doing what we were doing and being really good at doing what we're doing. But that said, I I can appreciate why at times there are people who feel compelled to make negative comments around that. Your leadership in the female entrepreneurial space is well documented internationally. This year, you had the opportunity as part of 110 female entrepreneurs from 20 countries. You're at Dell's 10th Women's Entrepreneur Network Summit in Singapore. Yeah, look, the Dell's Dwen Network is something that I've been involved in for a long time. And it's a community that I went to my first Dwen Summit in India in, I think it was 2012. And it really blew my mind because all of my exposure to fellow female entrepreneurs to date had been in Australian circles, which was great. And there's a really fantastic supportive community of female entrepreneurs here. But this was the first time that I'd actually seen what that could look like from a global perspective. And, you know, at that time, I think Stuart and I really were keen on our on our Asian strategy coming to life. And it was really valuable to get that global experience and that global exposure through the Dwen Network. So it's something I'm 
very grateful to Dell for being part of. And then hopefully I've been able to give back. I've been an advisory board member for the Dwen Conference for the last, I think, three or four years and working with Dell on how that conference is put together and the type of content and how we can best create value for the women that attend. So it's, I've really enjoyed it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If I could ask you the top three challenges facing female leaders around the world, I think undeniably it's still access to capital. Any of the statistics show that it is harder for female founders to access capital than it is for males. The reality is it's not something I've really personally experienced because, well, Stuart and I have always been partners, so it's him that's actually <laughs> been the one who's been able to bring in the money. It's, but certainly for, sol- for solo female founders, it's definitely a problem. I think um, the number of times that you actually go into an environment and you're still the only female or one of the few females in the room, it's not an experience that men actually have a comparator for. Or when they do, they find it really unusual. And I remember again at one of the Women in Focus conferences, one of the um, senior execs coming in and going, I feel so awkward. You know, there's me and 150 women here. This is so odd. And we all sort of looked at him and gone, welcome to our world. You know, this is this is what, maybe not one to 150, but it's a really regular occurrence. It's our reality. It's our, it's our reality. Every day. And I think that's hard because there is a boys club and the boys do have each other's backs. And if you're the only woman in the room, you do find yourself at times looking around and go, well, who's the one who's got my back? And we've got to actually establish that network of the guys who have our backs in that room. And it is something that is different to the male experience. So I think that is a challenge. I think the... Um, I think women's ability to back themselves and have confidence in themselves, you know, imposter syndrome is something that when I first read Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, I was blown away. I was like, there's a name for this. I thought it was just me. You know, all of my career, I've basically been waiting for someone to come and tap me on the shoulder when I'm sitting at a table and going, sorry, you're you're actually not meant to be in this seat. What do you think you're doing here? And then to go, my God, other people feel like this. I, I never knew. It was really mind blowing. And I remember we were actually on a flight to Tasmania when I was reading it and I'm going to Stuart, look, look at this. How cool is this? I thought it was only me who felt this way. And Stuart goes, you have to be kidding me. He goes, you can't possibly tell me that this is the way that you feel. And I've gone, I do. And I've had that conversation now numerous times with many successful men and they all have that kind of same response. You've got to be kidding me. Like, seriously, this is the way women think? That was a fleeting <laughs> thought that left us in our 20s and you're still struggling with it. Yeah, and I think that is something that... Sets get, women apart. It sets women and apart. Back. And you have to invest time, effort and energy in overcoming that. And, you know, that's something that guys don't have to do. How did you overcome it? 
This was a trick I developed before I realised what imposter syndrome actually, well, that existed. I just thought it was something I was grappling with. And the real changing moment for me was at the time of the um, the Telstra Business Women's Awards. When I entered those in 2011, one of our team members nominated me and I had to fill out the application, which was quite a lengthy and enormous process. And I actually had to sit down and document not just what the business had done and what Stuart and I had done in the business, but what I'd done. It couldn't be we, it had to be I. And it was really uncomfortable because I was much more comfortable and used to talking as a we. And I actually had to own the role that I'd played, the very specific things that I personally had done that had been contributing factors to what we'd been able to do in the business. Because, you know, as as a business owner of any kind, you're far more focused on the go forward than on the past. You kind of leave that behind you and keep going forward. But having to sit back, sit down, reflect on what you've done, own that and actually go, you know what, that, that was me, that was really powerful for me. And it actually really it sounds a bit cliche, but it truly was quite life changing having to own my contribution and the bits that I'd done as I not as we. So that had been, I guess, kind of my life hack for how I got myself through those moments of self-doubt and, you know, do I really deserve to be here? Can I do this? When I look at your achievements, the last decade's been pretty extraordinary. 2011, as you said, National Telstra Businesswoman's Award. 2013, included in the AFR's Top 100 Women of Influence. 2015, inducted in the Australian Businesswoman's Hall of Fame. Earlier this year, recipient of the Order of Australia for 30 plus years in healthcare and philanthropy. And now you've signed up for Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic Space Program. Yeah. (laughs) It's an extraordinary dream to want to get to outer space and to make it a reality. You've been quoted as saying, we each only get one life and I intend to make mine as epic as I possibly can. That means booking a seat to outer space. Well, where that came about was um, we were the sponsors of a business chicks breakfast that Richard spoke at in Brisbane quite a few years ago. And he spoke about the Virgin Galactic program then. And at that point, the concept of being able to buy a ticket on that trip was about as far away as the moon at that point. But then as the business success grew and we were able to take some money off the table after reinvesting every penny for you know 15 years plus, Stuart had remembered me leaning over and saying to him during that breakfast, I would love to do that one day. And he bought me a ticket for Christmas about four or five years ago. Yeah, and I've been trying to live up to what <laughs> Christmas present gifting ever since. But what does that mean What if you book a flight? Are you going through astronaut training? Yeah, so that they obviously haven't started the flight program yet, but it's it's getting really close. All of the um, the people involved in the Virgin Galactic program have been relocating over the US summer to Spaceport, which is the space airport in New Mexico that the flights will go from. And I saw on uh, on Twitter this morning that White Knight 2, which is the carrier plane, is about to, uh, to relocate down there itself. So the time for the flights to start is certainly getting closer. When my time in the queue comes, we'll we'll wait and see. 
no cold feet at this stage? No, look, and I'm a, I'm a big believer in doing everything you can to be prepared and ready for anything that life throws your way. So the training thus far, it's recommended but not compulsory. I did the, I did the zero gravity training and I did the G-force training because, well, one, I wanted to know whether I was going to be one of the people who threw up uncontrollably in zero gravity because that would have been a bit rate limiting <laughs> as far as enjoying the experience goes. And fortunately, I wasn't. And then I'm an asthmatic. And so the concept of actually having seven times your own body weight pushing through your chest on the re-entry back into, into the atmosphere was something that was a little intimidating as well. So I wanted to do the G-force training. Fortunately, I was able to manage that quite well. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in ticking whatever boxes you can to make yourself as prepared as you possibly can for any opportunity. And this one's not really any different. I follow you on various forms of social media and I can't keep up with your travels. You're always somewhere and living an enormously large life with a big smile, a glass of champagne and usually in a Dior frock. <laughs> you love fashion too, don't you? I do. I do. I always have. I think... In part, it's related to, you know, my father passed away from cancer at 57 and that was um, 17 years ago. And at the time, you know, I, I was in my early 30s and 57 then didn't seem old. But now Stuart and I turned 50 this year and 57 really does not seem old at all. And I think one of the real lessons from dad passing away so young was, and, you know, and we have it reiterated every day at work and in what we do, life doesn't always go to plan and there's no point saving the fancy stuff the best for later. You might as well rock it out every day and make the most of every opportunity that every day presents. None of us know what tomorrow holds. And, you know, I don't want to be one of those people who's kept the wedding crockery set in the cupboard for best and used it once in 40 years of marriage. I want it, you know, I want it to be out and gravy stained and kids breaking plates every day. Do you ever pinch yourself that you've woken up where you're at? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're extraordinarily grateful for the opportunities that we get. This is not the life that we imagined that we would be living, but um, boy, oh boy, we want to make the most of it. I guess as well as having a good time, we really want to make sure that we take what opportunity we can to do good. So we put a lot of effort and energy into finding ways that we can continue to help and contribute in a positive way, whether that's by philanthropic activities, whether it's by continuing to expand the work that we do at Icon Group and the impact that we can have on people's health there, whether it's actually, you know, by being great mates to people and giving them the opportunity to have fun experiences along the way. I think that's that's one of the things that defines both of us, where we just truly want to spend a whole lot more time enjoying ourselves and enjoying what we do, whether that be work or play, than we do sitting here going, well, if only. I think you've defined and and summed up your life, really. You work really hard and you play really hard. Yeah, because, I mean, life's too short to do it any other way. I've never seen you without a Dior piece somewhere. Um, (laughs) And it's not that you name drop, you just really love the label, don't you? I know you're on their personal invite list to all their major shows. You get invited to everything Dior does in Paris, don't you? Yeah, most of it. I'm pretty fortunate that way. But I think, again, <laughs> it's through... It's a dream experience watching your life from afar, <laughs> Cathy Reed. Look, I, have, I, I can't lie. I have to say it is a lot of fun. But I think, again, it's also just through, you know, one of our 
and quick loop around, we named the Epic Pharmacy business and I guess Epic Good Foundation and everything after our core values, energy, purpose, innovate and connect. So the Epic values lived long before the business was actually called Epic. And it's something that is so important to us. That's, that's I guess, where that all comes from. And that connect value has really been about what sums up our philosophy in business in life, which is around establishing positive relationships with the people that you deal with, whether they be suppliers or customers. And every relationship has has to be two-way. You can't be the one that actually takes all the time and expect it to be successful. You have to actually take also take the time to go, what does that company or what does that business actually need from me? And how can I actually be a really great partner? And that is, yes, there's obviously in, in all supplier-customer relationships, there's a financial component to it, but there's plenty of people who actually just either buy stuff or sell stuff for people. If you can actually take it to that next level where you've taken the time to get to know what actually the people in that business and what drives that business, what delivers a good experience for them as well as them delivering a good experience for you. I think that's where those really positive partnerships happen. And it's something that's been a really important part of what's fueled our business growth, taking the time to actually establish those really strong connection points. And it's something that we do bring into our personal lives as well. I think the fact that we've been able to establish those really positive relationships has stood us in good stead too. Well, it's interesting. What, what you value in business, you, you now see in the fashion house Christian Dior. They mm. give back to you and I love that you enjoy it so much, but you wouldn't continue to do it if you didn't get that reward back where they yeah. valued more than your buying power is your passion for their fashion. Yeah, and, and I think... As much as the fashion too, it's actually about the way that they do business and the, the corporate philosophies. And, you know, I it, it sounds really funny. And our, our brand and comms manager, after every time I've been fortunate enough to have a great experience somewhere with Dior, she always knows that we're going to have a sit down session when I get back and not only rehash how much fun the event was, but what are the business learnings? Because you learn something from it. You wouldn't expect a cancer oncology specialist to be learning from a fashion house in Paris, but that's actually what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. And again, looping back everything, you know, business and personal is always interconnected. My desire to go to space is about seeing the earth from a different perspective. And, you know, looking back at the earth from space is the ultimate way to look at the world from a different perspective. But my focus in business has always been how can we actually look at this from a different perspective? You know, healthcare has always been our primary business. But if you only look at that industry through a healthcare industry lens, you only go to healthcare industry events, hang out with people in healthcare, you only hear about what's actually already being done. And maybe you think, well, I might be able to do it better or I could tweak it, but you're essentially reinventing the same wheel. Whereas we've always had a really conscious focus on, and this is what drives a lot of the travel as well, getting out of that every day and actually looking at industries that are, like you say, who would think that you could learn something from a Paris fashion house that you can apply to an Australian cancer care business? But I think looking at the way that people do things and run businesses in completely different industries is where you actually go, hang on a minute, no one else is actually looking at it through that lens. And that's what's driven a lot of our innovative approaches in the way that we've done things. Cathy Reid, you are a fascinating woman. Thanks so much for sharing your world with us. I love the way you see the world and I love the way you challenge yourself, your business and everyone around you. Thanks for coming along for the ride. 
Thanks so much, Sandra. You have been listening to Short Black, a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. To make sure you don't miss any of our great chats, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. The Professor and the Hack, accessible politics with just a touch of depth. I'm Hugh Rimmington. And I'm Peter Van Onselen. You can find us, The Professor and the Hack, wherever you find quality podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.